Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Believe it. That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com, coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26, count them, 26 global audio video platforms, including iHeartRadio and iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, CastBox, Mixcloud, Listen Notes, oh, and the list goes on and on. I won't bore you. In fact, we're proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM and number two caregiver podcast on Feedspot out of the top 60 and number two on CaringVillage.com. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today. Judy Bailoff has had seven careers. She started as a nurse and ended up a financial advisor How she got there was through her open heart surgery and five strokes, not just one stroke, (laughs) where her oldest daughter and husband were her caretakers for her recovery. She has recently written a book, 365 Days of Abundance, which she credits with being the result of discovering the principles, laws, and holy scriptures that got her through the past five years, thriving and learning. So welcome to the show. But before we get started, I do want to take this moment and thank my last week's guest, Anne Neymark, spiritual psychotherapist for 30 years. And just a reminder, you can listen to that show and all our shows on our membership website, caregiverdave.com or any of the other 26 global networks that I mentioned earlier. Okay, enough of that. Judy, welcome to the show. And we are so excited to to have you on the Caregiver Dave show. I always like to ask my guests just who is Judy Bailoff and why was she placed on this earth? Judy Bailoff is a wife, a mother, a grandmother, had all those careers. But at the core of it, Judy Bailoff is a creation of the Almighty. And I am put here for a purpose. And I believe every day I'm supposed to look to see what the purpose for that day is. And I found so much joy in just living one day at a time. Can't tell you. It's been a, a, a really good result of open heart surgery and five strokes. Wow. To learn some serious lessons that I needed to learn. Not that I wasn't a fairly decent person before that. I was always cheerful and, you know, pretty upbeat and got raised in a, a, a really solid spiritual home, went to church and Sunday school and all that good stuff. Mm. But I was, I was kind of, I'd say normal. I was, I still gossiped at the water cooler. <laughs> I still complained about stuff, traffic, bills, worried about money. Da, 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 da. I just don't do that anymore. I live a life of total abundance and so I'm safe. now living temporarily with my 99 year old father-in-law and my husband said last night he goes this takes a lot of patience doesn't it (laughs) (laughs) and I said yes it can unless you look at it a different way 
Wow. So I look at it a different way. That is amazing. And um, so you're the caregiver and you needed a caregiver at, at one point. So how long ago were your five strokes and how, which period of time did they all happen in? Um, I had the open heart surgery June 26th of uh, 20. Oh my gosh. How did I forget that? Yeah. Time, oh my gosh. It's six time years flies when you're having fun. I know. It was six years ago. I know that. It's okay. Six years ago in June. So it was just, you know, June just passed us by. So six years ago in June. 2017. 20. That's okay. 2017. I went to the, I went to the, my, for my regular physical and my doctor said, you need to see a card. You need to see a cardiologist. Your aortic valve doesn't look so good. Mm. So that cardiologist said, yeah, we need to replace your valve. Um, I have a pig valve with a serial number. I don't know if anybody knows you get serial numbers, really? but you do. So a pig my, valve works, huh? Oh my gosh. So good. It's really, really amazing. I remember the first I, one they did. That was, a, that yeah, was many I, years oh, ago. Oh yeah. I used to, I used to be a surgery nurse in one of my careers. So ah. I did open heart surgery. So I, I used to put those mechanical valves in cause that's all they had at the time. Anyway, I woke up the day after open heart surgery. Cause you know, it's like a six and a half hour surgery. So you're kind of groggy for the whole neck that night. And you don't really wake up till the next morning uh-huh. and they get you out of bed right away and say, you got to need to move. So I'm sitting at the bedside table and my daughter brings me a diet Coke. Cause I hadn't had anything like that. I wanted to drink for, you know, two days. And I go to pick up the diet Coke and it falls out of my hand and rolls across the floor. Wow. And I'm like, what's going on? Well, many hours and many tests later, the cardiac surgeon and the cardiologist come in and they say, David and Judy, we have the test results. We know what happened. You had calcification around your defective valve. It broke away during the surgery as careful as they were. It does happen. It traveled up to my cerebellum in the back of my head, which controls your reading, your writing, your complex thinking, your right hand, and my sense of balance. All those were instantly gone. It, when I woke up, they were gone. It took them a day to figure out why they were gone, but they were gone. Yeah, it's like a brainstem stroke. It affects both sides. Mm-hmm. And my wife had a stroke uh, at 52, and she lost her speech, became paralyzed on one side, still can't talk or walk today. But she has reinvented herself and decided she's going to do everything she could do before with one arm and one leg tied behind her back and duct tape over her mouth. She's a great communicator through gestures and Pictionary and charades, games that I really suck at, but I'm learning to love. (laughs) So you're very fortunate that you can walk and talk and do all those things today. Oh, my gosh. And I know that. that. I don't. I do. And. And that's why I have to say, why me? So I must need to do something important. And one of the things I did was research and write that book. And what's the name of the book? 365 Days of Abundance. Mm. And it was just meant to move people one millimeter closer to God. Sounds like a book of gratitude. It's a lot about gratitude. It is. It's based on the 12 universal laws, which I never knew what they were till I started researching them. 
Um, there are laws that whether or not we know them or know where they came from or know how they work, they control our lives. Mm. So very valuable to learn about, about especially I, in the situations in life where you have caregivers and people who need care and those challenging life situations that drain all our energy from us. Right. Can you share a couple of the laws? I can. Um, one of them, which I'm using being at my father-in-law's house, he's upstairs, so I'm being quiet, uh, is the universal law of giving and receiving. Hmm. Now, what that law says is that the universe or God, whoever you call, who's up in the sky, you can make your own decision. I will not push that on anybody. Um, whoever you decide that personage is keeps perfect scales and you will not get anything back outside of what you've given away. Mm. So you can feel almost joyful when you get to learn to play Pictionary because <laughs> you are giving of your own energy and thoughts to help somebody else and doing it with a joyful heart. You can't give being cranky. That does not work. But you give it a test. You try to give and you will, you just keep getting, you just keep getting. You get, maybe it's appreciation. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's a trip you always, well, I don't know what it is, but the, univer the universal laws are the universal laws and they're called that because they always work the same. You are su you're such a happy spirit about you. You remind me of Debbie Reynolds. You, you look like her and you <laughs> yeah, sound like her. her. <laughs> you have I'm her hairstyle. <laughs> well, I kind of do, yeah. Um, isn't it an interesting thing to think about that we could be the ages we are? Because I don't know what age you are, but I think the gray beard would be. I'm 68 and a half. Well, I'm 69 and three quarters. Oh, my. But we so, look pretty good. <laughs> we look pretty good. We're holding up pretty well. If, but, if we're grading on the curve, I mean, because a lot of people don't yeah. look don't look this good. <laughs> right, right. We, I, we but I think it's the that. Lord. You know, He keeps you looking young, and you know, of course, you yeah, got to eat right and exercise and, and stuff. Do stuff. Yeah. So, what I think is cool about the universal laws is that they're so easy to prove that they work. You know, a lot of people don't believe in God. They're like, hey, I, I can't, I can't prove God's there. I don't, he doesn't affect my life. I don't want to do that. Okay. Let's leave God, God over there. Does the sun ever not rise in the East and set in the West ever one time in your lifetime? Does the sun always come up and then the moon comes up and they never fall out of the sky? That's the universal law of perpetual motion. Everything keeps moving the way it's supposed to moving. The trees will fall off. The leaves will fall off the trees this fall like they do every fall. And they will come back in the spring and we'll be so excited like we never saw them before. The trees are green again. I'm so excited. The flowers, the tulips are coming up. The daffodils are coming up. This is wonderful. I mean, there is the, the proofs and science. Scientists, you haven't heard it yet out in the popular world, but I, um, I, one of my favorite authors is Eric Metaxas. And he has people on his podcast that he interviews about what's happening in the world of science 
and theology, like the, you know, where are the two meeting? Mm -hmm. And they are discovering more and more proofs of the existence of something bigger than us. So just be stay tuned for when it finally breaks out of the scientific community because it's coming. I know you can't really have a creation without a creator. I mean, everybody knows that uh, people who make things, you know, yeah. you make the piano, there's somebody who made the piano and there's an owner's manual and you read it and you figure out how it works. Let's get into some of the practical aspects of caregiving because, you know, you wrote your book for a reason Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of wisdom. I wrote a book about wisdom. It's called Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times. I didn't no, mean it to be... a similar book in a way. Yeah, I didn't mean yeah. it to be a faith-based book, but how can you talk about wisdom without bringing faith into it? I mean, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, was a faithful man, you know, a faith-based man. And so uh, we have very similar books. Mm-hmm. So I talk about 31 different aspects of wisdom, you know, and they're under the categories of mind, body, spirit. And it sounds like uh, you kind of do the same thing. So let's talk about what uh, wise things that a caregiver should be doing. And you talk about long-term care, don't you? I do. I, my, my not waiting till the last minute to get it. Yes. My official business for the last five years since I had, because, you know, I don't know if you mentioned to your listeners, but what happened to me at age 64 when I had my five strokes and I, it took me 10 weeks to recover enough where the neurologist said, yeah, you can go back to work. You won't, you don't have all your complex thinking back, but it'll probably be helpful to go to work. Cause you'll rebuild neural pathways. I hope he said, I said, okay, I'll do that. And I not only went back to work, I killed it. I ended up number 14 in the country and there was only 36 people in my position. So that's really impressive. And what was your position? I was an enterprise business specialist. I was in charge for a big, big, big financial advisor firm Mm. of changing the culture. (laughs) It's kind of a big job. Um, And I had two states and I traveled all the time and did speaking engagements. And, you know, it was a, it was a big job. And I went, I was absolutely, I don't know if ecstatic even is a big enough word for how excited I was to have my ability to read and write and do all that stuff back. It was totally amazing yeah we don't take so it to be ready. that and i was supposed to get a seventy thousand dollar bonus and you know what they did they no. let me go <laughs> why uh they said we're redistricting we're changing yada 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 you know so i went out and got a brand new career as an insurance slash financial advisor ah. that's when i started learning about long-term care and retirement yeah. planning and I've sold a ton of long-term care, but what, what really made me say what I said to you about how early should people be looking at long-term care? You should really look at long-term care in your mid-40s because right. long-term care underwriters look at two things, your age and your health. You have no control over your health. You can lose your health tomorrow. And then you can't get long-term care. And long-term care is one of the primary reasons why retirements are destroyed because one spouse uses up all the money for the long-term care event. And then the other spouse is left with just their social security. So it's a, it's a very, very important thing to plan. And also because it's a caregiver podcast, this is really important I have a really good long-term care policy as my husband does. I made us get them. 
And when, when and if we ever need care, my kids will be able to come to visit me, not to right. change change me or put me <laughs> in the shower or take me out of bed or feed me because right. I will have caregivers who come in every day. They can come and enjoy my company instead. I, I would prefer that. Yeah, I, I bought mine uh, right about 48, 49, cost me $114 a month. It only went up one time last year to $135 a month. Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, and the company, State Farm, doesn't even write them anymore because people are starting to use them. Yep. And I guess they're losing money, but they can't cancel me. Nope. So I'm grateful <laughs> to have it. I know you're grateful to have it. Yeah. And Everybody my- should, should get it. Think about it. Don't If you're 50, now's the time, you know, do it. Yeah. Go get it. Go get it. And because who know, wants I, to be a burden to their children? I sure don't, you know. No, and who and and the reality of it is it, it is children have now moved all over the country. I have a daughter oh, no. in Spain. <laughs> My daughter in Spain is not going to be able to take care of me. Right? So yes, right. it's a very important subject and one that's little talk. As a matter of fact, nobody you know, talks about it. No. The states are starting now to put required long-term care in place. Or you have to have a tax taken out of your check right. for the rest of your working life. The problem is it's only a $36,000 policy. That's not going to take care of anybody. Yeah. Well, mine is $400,000. Yeah, excellent. That's great. Mine's yeah. about that much. Yeah. yeah. Um, three-year policy, $400,000. And three years is the average number of years people use it. Average. Well, well, so some are right. longer, some are shorter. Yeah. So it's yes, that's a very good thing. So I joke around with my kids. Uh, you'll be able to stick me at, uh, at on the beach at Malibu. And he says, Dad, you won't know where you are. We'll stick you in Pacoima and you'll think you're a Malibu. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's talk about perspective and how important it is. Sometimes it's more real than reality. So how can perspective help a caregiver? Let me use my open heart surgery recovery as an example of perspective I wish I would have had at the time. So after I met you and we were talking about doing this show, I interviewed my husband, my two daughters, my friends, anybody who had been a part of caregiving of Judy Bailoff when she had open heart surgery and thought she was, my husband didn't think I was ever working again. He thought he was going to have to feed me and take care of me. Like he was he was not in a good place at the time. He was a little nervous. Wow. And uh, see the I same age as you or older or younger, two years younger, mm. a little bit younger, not much. Um, but we have, you know, we have, it's a second marriage. So we have, we, mm. we both work, we both contribute to the family budget. So losing my very, very good income from my job would have been a challenge, you know, for the mortgage payment and all the bills and stuff. So it was, you know, and he, I'm an active wife. We bike together. We dance. We go to movies, you know, like we had a life and all of a sudden our life was on hold, maybe permanently. And so as I interviewed the people, this is now I'm speaking to the people who are being cared for. Be careful when you are the one that needs the care, because I was totally self-absorbed. I wouldn't be that way now. I'm an actually different person than I was before that happening. My, my husband was so sad. He'd go over to friends' houses and just cry, not in front of me. So you have to give your 
caregivers a chance to express how they're feeling. My daughter said the day that I needed to go back to my cardiac surgeon to get checked, I made her run around and find a skirt and a scarf to cover up my scar and my espadrilles and get my hair done and take a shower and everything. And she went in sweats and she hadn't slept for weeks because she was so worried about me. I don't even remember that. I just remember me being so worried about the cardiac surgeon saying, oh, it's healing. You're going to be, you know, like any good news I could find. So it's, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm thinking in retrospect that I could have done it. I don't know if I could, but just remind ourselves that there's two people in the caregiver equation and that maybe asking, like I asked my father-in-law, we're, we're living in his house. I asked him this morning at breakfast. I said, if you're ever at a place where us being here is upsetting your routine, please just tell me if we can, you know, move our stuff out of the front hallway or, you, you know, you don't like the stuff in the refrigerator because he's still pretty mobile. He just needs help with some things. Um, but that's a suggestion is open up a conversation, giving the, the person being watched over or cared for, for them to give you information to say, yeah, you know, actually it would help me if you did X. Yes, I agree. And, uh, most of the people listening to the show are burned out, burnout caregivers, you know, only about, oh, 10 to 30% of them are healthy. The rest of them, you know, they say that 30% of caregivers actually die before their loved ones do just from the stress. And many more become sicker than the ones they care for, eventually needing a caregiver of their own and becoming hospitalized. So how can caregivers just avoid that burnout thing? Because they give and give and give, then there's nothing left to give, you know, like my cell phone. Um, Somehow I always let it go down to 10%, 5%, 3%. Now it's, you know, Danger Will Robinson and an important call comes in. How do we keep our batteries charged? Um, batteries get charged a lot of different ways. And some people don't have all these options. But if it were if it were me, I would say the first way I charge my batteries is I'd have a morning routine that gave me strength. Is it a gratitude journal? Is it a... Is it a is it devotions that you do? Is it time with maybe there's somebody you call every morning and for five minutes you you can talk to each other and kind of get things out, but have a morning routine that starts the day out. That's the first thing. Number two, either your book or my book, have something that's a reference point for you to remind you of the things you believe are important. Um, you know, I would suggest either read my book or get a book about the universal laws and learn about it because those laws will give you hope on those days you feel burnt out. And look through the Rolodex of your, if it's your mom or if it's your sister, if it's your spouse, of people that could, and you could literally call, sometimes caregivers don't ask for help. They just don't want to be a burden to anybody else. They're feeling that they're a burden, that their person is a burden. They don't want to be a burden because they know how horrible it feels to be the person that's being used that way. And that's how they start to think of it when they're burnt out. Make a phone call and say, hey, it would mean a lot to mom. Let's use an example. It would mean a lot to mom 
if you could come over and stay with her for a couple hours and let me have a little rest to go run a couple of errands or go have a cup of coffee and just sit in the park, whatever it is. So those three just alone, have a morning routine, have somebody that you talk to that gives you that little, you know, don't isolate your caregivers so often isolate themselves. That's right. Also, almost every state in the union, you might know this better mm. than me, but almost every state in the union has, um, they don't call it caretaker. Respite. They have people from the state that will, through your Medicare policy, that will come and give you a four hour break and make you leave the house and they will stay there with the person that needs care. So some people don't know that exists. Yeah, it's a part of palliative care, I think. Uh, it isn't yeah, just I had, for people who are dying. I saw it work for a friend of mine who was caring for her mom and she just refused to leave the house. People offered to help her and she refused to leave. But then when the when the social service worker mm. came and said, we are concerned that you are going to fall apart. So we're taking over, get out of the house for four hours, come back at six. That's so unusual that they would do that because they've neglected caregivers for so long. I think they're just starting to realize um, why do caregivers not ask for help? You know, why do they think they can do it all by themselves? Well, sometimes some of us have a hero mentality. We kind of think that we can do it all. Some of us are, maybe some of us have lived a life where we don't feel like we have the right to ask anybody for help because we've never given any help. So we might think about that ahead of time, just, just in case, uh, if you just, I mean, I am just so excited about living a life that is based on some real principles that guide me every day. So if I think like I went to a lunch today to meet a new colleague in a new town and I brought a copy, copy of my second book I wrote, which is called Flipping the Script on Negativity, which might be a good one for caregivers, actually, <laughs> when I think about it. And he said, well, thank you for the gift. I said, well, I learned writing the universal laws and studying Think and Grow Rich and the, and, and the Napoleon Hill principles that you should always leave people with an increase. So a flower, a smile, a book, a tchotchke you got sitting around, something fun and cute to bring. But <clears throat> always leave people with more. Don't, leave, don't take from people, give to people. And I think that's a good practice so if you've been giving to everybody you met for the last 20 years, you can find somebody that'll give you a four hour break. Yeah. You can. And gratitude is so important. Uh, you just mentioned earlier that you were so grateful that unlike my wife, you can still talk, you can still walk, you know, um, there's so much to be grateful for. It's, it's easy to think about the things we don't have and can't do anymore because we get older. I can't do the things I used to do. But, mm -hmm. but it's much better to be grateful for the things that you still can do, because maybe one day you won't be able to do them. Enjoy it while, you know, enjoy the journey. Absolutely. Gratitude. I just did a practice this last week. Uh, it was suggested by um, Abraham Hicks. I watched an Abraham Hicks video and it, it, this one impressed me. She was talking about it was Esther Hicks that was talking and she said, I want you this morning to take all five of your senses and just wallow in them. First of all, your eyes, like 
what can you see from where you're sitting? And for me, I'm sitting in this temporary office and I have beautiful woods and trees out that way and beautiful woods and trees out this way. I mean, wow, just to see is so amazing. And then she said, taste, like she said, go get, she was eating a luscious strawberry. She goes, go get something and actually appreciate that you have taste buds. Have you ever lost your sense of taste when you had a cold? Uh, yeah, I have. Yeah. And nasty. And you're like, oh, it's not even fun to eat anymore. Like, <clears throat> I know. I can't eat anymore. Eat. Yeah. So the sense of taste is a wonderful blessing. You know, when you smell the chocolate chip cookies coming out of the oven, you're like, oh, I, want, I can't wait to taste that cookie. And to say, I'm grateful for the sense of touch, to, to hug the person that's most important to you. To be able to talk, of course, to be able to communicate, to say, I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me on your podcast. What a privilege. I mean, the, our five senses are now, see, our five senses will also do us harm. So you have to, there's a good and bad side to everything. Those five senses are amazing. However, if you run your life from those five senses, taking in everything that there's in Times Square there, all of that stuff, and the news, and the gossip, and the complaining, and the negative comments, you're going to have no inner strength to live from. You're living from the outside in. And your brain has two parts. You have a conscious brain and a subconscious brain. Your conscious brain gathers everything from your five senses. Your subconscious brain is deductive. It can't decide anything. It does whatever the conscious brain tells it to do. It's like planting nightweed next to corn. The ground will nourish both of them. And that poisonous weed will grow up right next to your nutritious corn. So think about your brain that way. And so if you're a caregiver, do not let negative crap in there. Don't do it. Make sure you're reading a positive book, read the Bible, sing, have music on every morning. Find a way to find the joy because if you are alive, you're above ground. So whether you're a caregiver or the person being cared for, it's time to use the universal laws and give and take and appreciate the wonder of perpetual motion and know that the law of attraction, and the law of vibration are still working. And so if you live on a higher vibration of gratitude and joy every day, even if you're a burnt out caregiver, you can incrementally see the days improving. I don't know how it will improve. I'm not God, but I know it will. Well, it's hard to believe that time is slipping away from us here in the next minute or so. Why don't you tell us what people can get out of their book, out of your book, and how they can pick one up? Thank you. Jack Canfield, the author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, interviewed me in January. And at the end of the interview, he said to his audience, he said, I have Judy's book and I read it every day. If you read this book every day, just one entry, it takes three minutes. It will change your life. Hmm. Great endorsement. So, uh, yeah, I think it's my favorite one. <laughs> so you can get it on Amazon, 365 Days of Abundance by Judy Bailoff, B-A-L-L-O-F-F. And if you hate Amazon, because some people boycott it, <laughs> you can go to my website and order it from there. And the website is just judybailoff.com. So it's easy peasy. 
And actually, there's a second book now that's on Amazon called Flipping the Script on Negativity. It's the seven P's of thought control. Wow. Sounds great. So if someone wants to get a hold of you, uh, your website, your email, what? Website has my email on it. And that's how I I do speaking engagements. uh, If they want to take one of my classes or anything like that. I'm actually... On Friday, I will be a fully certified Napoleon Hill instructor. So wow. Good for I you. will be available for that too. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We've learned a lot and uh, can't wait to read your book. And maybe I'll send you a link to my book as well. Please do. I'm, I didn't know you wrote one. I'd be fascinated. I want to get a copy. Awesome. And we'll both leave reviews, honest reviews. Honest reviews. You got it. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. And remember that all our live shows become recorded podcasts and videocasts on your favorite platforms. And you can purchase my newly released book, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times, a great book that's changing lives all over the world, available wherever books are sold, and my website, caregiverdave.com, a free membership support community with lots of tools, resources, and free gifts. And check out my Facebook page, Caregiver Dave, a community of 34,000 caregivers. And if you click the like or follow button on whatever platform you're watching or listening this interview on, it will help us reach even more caregivers by improving Google's search engine algorithm. So thanks to all my listeners out there for making us the number one caregiver podcast on the internet. So until next week, same time, same channel. Thanks. Bye-bye. I'm Dave Nassani. My fourth book, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times, is a number one bestseller on Amazon. As a young boy, I was told I possessed an unusual amount of wisdom for my age. As a young man, I found myself counseling friends and older family members whenever they needed answers to their problems. Then at 21, I read the Bible for the very first time and learned how King Solomon asked God for wisdom instead of riches, yet he received both. I was so impressed that I too asked God for wisdom. Soon after, I discovered when lying on my hammock, I would receive wisdom from God. This book is the result of my passion to share with the world wisdom's tremendous benefits. Join me as I reveal practical aspects of wisdom for the mind, body, and spirit. 31 lessons I learned from God that can change your life. Available in hardcover, audible, Kindle, and paperback wherever books are sold. I've spoken all over the country and London and am available to speak at your event. Contact me at hammockwisdom.com. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing. Uh. 